Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the eighth episode of season two of the Tom Petty Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalog, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Today's episode covers the second track from the second side of You're Gonna Get It, the iconic Listen to Her Heart. If this is your first episode, we don't actually play the song in the body of the episode uh, due to complications with licensing. So go check out the link in the episode notes if you want to listen before we dig into the song. Once you've done that, come back and I'll be right here and ready to talk about the track. Listen to a Heart, along with I Need to Know, were the two songs that Tom had already written and the band had been playing live before they went into Shelter Studio to record their sophomore record in 1977. With an instantly recognisable intro chord progression that mimics the birds and the searchers, the sound was built out from Vox Phantom 12-string guitars that Tom and Mike had picked up. And sometimes a guitar tone can really drive an entire song. And as soon as you play those chords with that guitar tone, you're going to be pulled inexorably down a specific sonic pathway. In conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo, I remember going to the rehearsal the first day I had it and playing it with the band and really being knocked out with it because it really suited me and Mike when we played that riff. And I think this displays two attributes that made Tom so consistently successful as a songwriter. First of all, his enthusiasm for his songs and his belief in them, but also his recognition of how to write specifically with Mike Campbell in mind. Having that ability to either know where to leave gaps for Mike or write complementary parts for him were a huge part of the Heartbreaker's success. After John Scott and Tom had bonded over a joint at Tom's house um, shortly after you know, that sort of relationship had, had started to burgeon, uh, Tom offered to play John a demo of one of the Heartbreaker's new tracks, which just so happened to be Listen to Her Heart. And John says in his excellent memoir, Tom Petty and Me, from that first riff, I felt even more connected to the music. It moved me more than ever, and I had Tom play it for me several times. Without a doubt, this band was no one-hit wonder. That's an understatement to say the least, isn't it? But John obviously wasn't to know the heights the band were yet to reach. The song opens with that iconic, shimmering, jangling riff. Two guitars playing complementary parts. The rhythm guitar in the left channel is holding a fairly straight A, A sus 2 pattern with the right handing in that lead line for the eight bar intro. During those first eight bars, Stan is adding some, you know, kick crash hits on the ones and some fills here and there to fill in some of those gaps. And after that first four bars, Ron Blair's bass throws in a couple of really tasty little slides. Now we then get eight more bars of the intro with the band playing as a unit and with Benmont's organ and piano parts now filling out the sound completely and giving us that big, it's almost like a Phil Spector-esque wall of sound feel, although not quite as, as full on as that would be. Uh, we also hear Mike switch the lead guitar in the right channel to basically sync up with Ron Blair's bass line. You know, that do-do-do-do-do. Uh, so that bit is obviously repeated between Mike and Ron. And the repeating of that phrase in the lower and upper registers really makes that motif pop more than it would if it were only the guitar playing it. Through the rest of the song, Stan is keeping a really steady beat, keeping four on the floor with the kick, snare on the twos and fours, and the hat playing in straight time. We don't get any more fills until the bridge, when we get that killer tom roll back into the solo. So this is a case of the drums sitting in the pocket and providing a steady foundation for the rest of the song to be built upon. Remember, only a foolish man builds a castle on the sand. Once we hit that first verse, the rhythm guitar drops off and is played very lightly to give that treble space to the vocal. Likewise, Ron sits on that main lead lick and otherwise just walks all over that A note to keep the bass end anchored. 
In the first chorus section, he again keeps it straight, but in the second one, starts to throw in a few more lifts and changes to build that second chorus into the bridge. The chorus has that really distinctive half-bar chord change structure, with the change to G on the first beat of that first bar and the change back to A on the third beat of that first bar. So that gives the song its signature hook that is so effortlessly done, you don't even really notice it until you notice it. A lot of bands would maybe change to a minor chord on that third beat and then come back to A on the on the next bar, but sticking to major keys throughout really fits with the tone of the lyrics, which are confident and positive. During the second verse, we also hear some hand claps coming in and giving us even more depth to the rhythm. The band never really added much, if any additional percussion on those first two records, with hand claps really being the only percussive element other than Stan's drums that we ever hear. But again, they give that second verse a slightly different feel and keep the song moving forward and building subtly towards that magnificent middle eight. Ron's bass line and the drum fill into that section is so great and cuts the tempo back like a jockey yanking on the reins and bringing a thoroughbred to a canter rather than a gallop. This might just be one of the simplest but most effective middle eights ever written, and is a big reason why this song is as good as it is. With Stan thudding that kick drum on every beat through the verse and chorus to suddenly drop out and have the vocals and lead guitar shine even more brightly just really sets off the whole thing and gives the, gives the song um, a personality that it wouldn't have uh, if we'd sort of stayed on that, uh, on that straight time through the, through the middle section. Mike's lead work in the middle eight, as it most often is, is understated, but simply perfect for what is needed in the bridge. The attention to detail to make sure that he's not overplaying, especially when Tom is singing those lines in the bridge, is another facet of the Heartbreakers that always impresses me. The arrangements are always so carefully crafted. We head out of the bridge into the solo, a simple, reverb-laden, melodic eight bars that isn't the product of someone playing as many notes as possible or trying to shoehorn in all sorts of fancy licks and bends, but again, just finding a melody and letting that do the lifting for that guitar part rather than virtuosic playing, which Mike is obviously clearly capable of. From the solo, we head back into the chorus and then into the outro. And at this point, we hear Benmont's piano come back in. We only heard it for those second eight bars in the intro, so to bring them back for the outro is a really nice dovetailing touch. Uh, we also get another push from Stan, with Ron sitting once again on the double-time walking bass, and Mike filling in guitar space with some simple fills and textures. Listen to a Heart is one of the very few songs off the first two records that actually has an ending rather than a fade out. And this ending is pretty much as iconic and recognizable as the opening. A full band finish with every musician hitting those beats and just finishing big. Once again, my friends, it's time for some petty trivia, where I get to ask you questions that range from lyrical to musical to downright incidental. Last week's question was this. What three albums were recorded on the MCA Backstreet label? The answer is the trio of albums that best showcase the band's collaboration with producer Jimmy Iovine. Damn the Torpedoes, Hard Promises, and Long After Dark. Even though Southern Accents also had Iovine as a producer... That record also saw Dave Stewart and the Eurythmics producing and Tom and Mike taking more of a prominent role. So I always think of those three albums as the Iovine trilogy. They're a really cohesive, thematically progressive set of songs which define that early period of Tom's explosion onto the wider scene. This week's question is this. Aside from Denny Cordell and Tom himself, who is the third person who is given a producer credit on You're Gonna Get It? <laughs>
Okay, back to the song. Another very cool creative choice in this song is to have the lead vocal matched by a fifth part harmony the entire way through, with the exception of the opening phrases of the two lines in the bridge. Again, we get that big full sound reminiscent of the birds in that choice. In conversations, Paul quotes Bob Dylan's comment that if you get the phrasing of a song right, the rest of it will fall into place. Tom's response is that phrasing is really important, and so is meter. Even the way you sustain a line or clip a line is going to really have an emotional impact. And the way he alternates his phrasing between a very fluid, smooth verse and a more clipped staccato cadence in the chorus provides that last crucial piece of the puzzle which elevates the song musically. It's a vocal that is confident. The lyrics speak to the protagonist's surety that the bad guy isn't going to win. But it's not cocky or sneering, it's just self-assured and beautifully delivered. The lyrics in Listen to Her Heart are, in my opinion, as strong as anything Tom wrote on those first two, maybe even three, albums. It's incredible to think that the record company were terrified of that opening line, and that the radio stations would never play it because of the reference to cocaine. Tom was famously requested to change that line from, with your money and your cocaine, to, with your money and your champagne. As Tom points out, I didn't really see the character caring about the price of a bottle of champagne. Cocaine was much more expensive. And aside from that, it really does change that character completely. In, in other ways, someone who's trying to steal your girl with cocaine is likely a slightly more edgy proposition than someone in a cream suit and a Lincoln Continental who thinks champagne is the way to go. Also, and I think most importantly, it doesn't work phonetically. Champagne is far too soft a word on both syllables. Cocaine is a better word, regardless of meaning, and it fits in that place in the lyrics so perfectly to remove it would be the same as covering up the Venus de Milo with a modesty cloth. Utterly barbaric. Thankfully, Tom stuck to his guns and common sense prevailed. The word also made the song more appealing to many stations, especially college radio stations, and, and as with Clapton's song, it connected with people on a, a more authentic level. Listen to Her Heart is, I think, one of the most perfectly crafted pop songs of all time. Yes, it's rock and roll, but it's also one of the most brilliant examples of how to write a rock and roll song with a great hook, a great lyric, and an exemplary musical performance that's also accessible and catchy and hummable. In an interesting case of, well, let's call it imitation as flattery, Elvis Costello lifted the ending from this song for his 1978 song, Radio Radio, after hearing the Heartbreakers do the song when Costello supported them in Chicago in 1977. Paul Zolo says, it's a good song, Radio Radio, and Tom's cheeky reply is, yeah, great ending. I'll throw a link to that song in the episode notes so you can give it a listen or just skip to the end and have a chuckle. Okay, folks, that's all for this week. I'm going to give Listen to Her Heart a 10 out of 10, a straight 10 out of 10 without any discussion, any argument. It's one of the most stunning songs in Tom's early catalogue and would go on to be one of the top 10 most played live songs in the Heartbreakers catalogue. It's also one of the band's songs most often covered by other artists with acts such as Stevie Nicks and Keith Urban, Foo Fighters, Goo Goo Dolls, Jason Isbell, Oreo Speedwagon among its biggest fans. I'll put a link to Ario Speedwagon covering the song with a, a loving nod to Tom in the introduction. Um, so, as always, don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. Uh, you can always find me on YouTube also. Um, so follow, like, subscribe as applicable. And again, please leave a review or a rating if you haven't already. Um, as always, I always appreciate the feedback that you give me. Um, and I always try to answer every comment or question that you do send me on social media or through email. So until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy. And I'll be back with you next week to talk about track eight from You're Gonna Get It and the B-side to I Need to Know. Uh, no second thoughts. 
Bye-bye.